0: Welcome to Inside Parliament, a weekly catch-up about the political stories we've been covering this week for One News. We're coming to you from the legendary TBNZ Beehive studio. I'm Mikey Sherman. And I'm May Heron. And May and I have been at the Government's Justice Summit this week, so let's take a look at that. A room full of experts and a whiteboard full of ideas. We have a real opportunity to make long-lasting change. Change the government says is desperately needed. We've had many, many years of just talking about just locking more people up and we don't talk much about what happens after that. So today it outlined its immediate plans including building a new Fare Orangake considered a form of open prison. There'll be new rehabilitation centres for women, extra electronic monitoring and prison rehabilitation programmes are getting a big boost catering for an extra 500 inmates. Former inmate Mara Metua Williams says it's a good start. For a whole year I didn't have any programmes, there wasn't... Um much you could do on remand, so it caused a lot of trouble. But with a major focus on the offender, some were angry over a lack of voice for the victim. The only sense that I got that there was any talk about victims was about the offenders. The offenders are being referred to as victims, victims of circumstance. For Jane Carothall, it's personal. Her three-year-old daughter Brittany was murdered. Today is my daughter's 25th birthday and I should be celebrating it with her that I'm not. Andrew Little has promised the views of victims will be addressed. The government set aside $1.2 million to support the recommendations from the Justice Summit, a figure some here say is small change given the large scale of reform needed. The advisory group charged with pulling together ideas from the summit is expected to report back at the beginning of next year. So obviously this is uh, one of the biggest challenges for the government, for the Labor government. Um, Prisons, the numbers alone, are shamefully shocking. Uh, And in fact, when Labor was in opposition, um, they were quite strong on the issue of corrections and prisons, uh, which was led by Calvin Davis. Um, So they've got a lot to prove um, now that they're in the seats of power. Um, So there'll be huge expectation on them. And it's a big test, isn't it, for the government, because
1: this is um, basically how we can see how they're going to change the justice system. Because I think, um, on the whole, there has been uh, talk for some time, even in past governments, you know, Bill English said that um, they were a moral and fiscal failure, something that was echoed by Jacinda Ardern at the summit. And so there seems to be a general recognition that our justice system isn't working. I mean, we've got one of the worst uh, re-carcination, what's the word I'm looking for? incarceration rates for about 30, hasn't changed in 30 years. And so the challenge for the government is not accepting that that's a problem. It's about... Um, I guess finding how to change it I mean was there much do you think way forward with
0: that in the summit? Yeah look um, I spoke to Moana Jackson who is a Maori law academic and he um, spoke about the need um, to be bold and to think outside the square and actually go outside perhaps the wire, the prison wire um, when it comes to habilitation um, of offenders Uh, he said that um, obviously there's a fear um, around doing that amongst the public um, and that sort of fear can uh, cripple say governments uh, when they're making having to make those bold decisions Um, but I think if we want to see significant change there seemed to be um, a consensus at the summit that um, those bold moves were needed. Um, My assessment of the summit I mean I was there over the two days Um, in some ways it was quite slick um, you had uh, you know, a full house, you had experts, you had frontline staff there, um, it looked good and you had the likes of um, Kirsty Luke who's the CEO of Tuhoi Tribe taking out uh, taking some of the breakout sessions, you also had Eugene Ryder who's a Black Power member and social worker taking some of the breakout sessions so you had those sort of bases covered um, and you also had I thought the ministers tackling head on um, what you said um, and um, what is obviously a glaring failure um, of the country, and that is the Māori prison population. So in those ways, it was really good. But in other ways, it seemed quite messy. Uh, You had the likes of Anzac Wallace, a Māori leader, interrupt um, Jan Logie's speech, um, saying, You know, it's all very well that you are talking um, about Māori, but we are here as Māori. Let us speak for ourselves. Give us the time um, to have a kōrero. Uh, You also had Dennis O'Reilly, who spoke out when Calvin Davis was speaking, um, and he was critical of the way that Calvin was articulating uh, gang members. Um, And then you had the mother of a three-year-old girl uh, who was murdered, and she spoke about... um, the fact that there was no voice of the victim at the summit. And so all of those points I thought were valid um, and the government obviously um, has to juggle those, those tricky elements of this issue.
1: Yeah, and I think you, especially that victim point, is very interesting because that is what National is um, getting getting their teeth on a little bit. The fact that there's going to be more criminals, or they're questioning whether there's going to be more criminals on the streets, and whether um, it's going to be actually more unsafe for people out there. So you know, that's a really fine line the government has to walk here, which is you know looking after victims, still punishing people for the crime, but at the same time
0: rehabilitating and looking after people. So, we'll see what the advisory group comes back with, uh, their recommendations due back at the beginning of next year. Let's move now to uh, MPs' pays. Um, let's take a look at that story.
2: Politicians' pay often comes under scrutiny. Now, the highest paid, the Prime Minister, doesn't like what she sees. They would be issuing us an increase uh, in the order of 3%. That is not acceptable. To this government. Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern today going as far as to announce a year-long freeze in MPs' pay and allowances. This while the government reconsiders the way MPs' pay is decided. One of the things we've been trying to bridge as a government is the fact that we see these increasing uh, increases at the top end of the scale without that same uh, increase at the end of the scale where most New Zealanders sit. The Prime Minister earns over $470,000, her deputy about $330,000 and ministers inside cabinet earn just under $300,000, as does the leader of the opposition. MPs start on about $160,000. This doesn't include allowances.
3: I think they get what they deserve. A bloody good idea. Why do you think it's a good idea? Because I've just had to give all all my staff a pay
1: rise because of her. They can give some more money to the teachers. It's more their perks that I'm worried about rather than their pay.
2: MPs usually get a yearly pay increase set by the Remuneration Authority. The authority looks at the earnings of those in the public sector and what rise they get but now that's going to change.
3: MPs' pay increases should be linked to the performance of the economy and the average New Zealanders' pay.
2: We support uh, any opportunity to have a look at it and see if a better way uh, can be done to reach that. We have long called for a fairer
0: pay for ordinary workers in comparison with politicians.
2: The government's introducing urgent legislation next month to enact the pay freeze, then
1: other options to look at how increases are measured will be looked at. Yes, yeah, so MPs pay, always a very interesting topic, right? Everyone gets kind of quite opinionated about this. But, you know, do you think that this was a good decision by the government or is this a bit of what they call virtue signalling, right?
0: I think it was a good decision. I think it was a a clear um, decision. They obviously had to make it. This is the type of government that Jacinda Ardern is leading, um, and that is one that is uh, seen to be um, quite um, empathetic toward your average worker. Um, Critics would say that it is linked to the strikes um, that has plagued the government over the last few months, Um, but my personal view is I don't think... That, that that is the case. I think that uh, Labor would have taken this position either way and the good thing is, is that it seems to have a broad political support um, with the Nats and the likes of ACT um, supporting it as well. And I think it's one that will, I think, always go down with the public. I mean, I think you
1: look at MPs' pay, and like Jacinda Ardern says, she recognises that MPs are on the upper end of the scale when it comes to salaries. And so I think the average person will look at that, and if they see a 3% pay rise for them, they'll look at themselves and go, well, I haven't had anything like that, so how can my leaders be doing that when we're out here suffering? So I think it's really important, and like you say, the government campaigned on bringing down that gap between the rich and the poor, and considering that she, has, Jacinda Ardern, has put herself in that upper end, it's really important that they show the signal that they are making moves to try and reduce that gap. But it was so interesting looking back at an old track from the 1970s, where MPs' pay was still a talking point then.
3: Before you decide that you'd like to swap your bank balance for that of the average backbencher, it's perhaps worth taking a look at what the men on the hill are actually earning. If you make it to the backbenches, your annual salary will be in the region of $4,650. If you choose to be leader of the opposition, you'll be getting in $7,350. And if you manage to reach the dizzy heights of prime minister, your annual salary basic will be $12,400. It may not seem very much, but are they worth even that? Uh, You may have heard that a royal commission has recommended a 31% increase in the salaries of members of parliament. Do you think they should get an increase in salary? Not that much. Why not? I think they get too much now. Yes, in the old days it was a privilege to be a member of parliament and you did it for nothing. If they had such an increase or even a larger increase, perhaps we might get some brighter ships up there. I think that it's the biggest scandal that's ever happened in this country. When we're constantly being reminded about rising prices, rising costs and rising wages, surely this is a highly inappropriate time even to be considering an increase like that. Now, I agree that uh, in that sense it is, but Uh, Our uh, increases come once every three years. Last time uh, there was a small increase because of the economic circumstances and the Commission's now uh, taken the opportunity of bringing uh, member salaries up to what they would have been. Now I've got a graph here which I'll show you, uh, which shows the gap that's emerged between public service salaries, the wages outside and member salaries. There's quite a big gap that's emerged since 1964.
0: So um, obviously that was very fun to watch. Uh, Nice look back there um, on what was happening back in the 1970s with MPs' pays. Um, Some thought it was outrageous. Um, Others thought it was a privilege um, to be a parliamentarian. I really enjoyed watching the Voxies Um, and I don't think that those types of views have changed Um, to nowadays uh, people either think that MPs deserve the pay that they get or they think that it's outrageous and that they should um, you know be on a pay freeze so uh, there you go 31%, Thirty-one percent, though. Imagine
1: if that happened now. Thirty-one percent is a lot of money. But you're right. I mean, you could take some of those comments there
0: and put them into now, and you'd kind of have the same comments, right? In yeah, case pay. Yeah. And it was interesting to see um, the the prime minister's pay was twelve um, and a half uh, thousand dollars as compared to Jacinda Ardern's now on four hundred plus. And I'm sure some people would like to see it go back down to twelve thousand. <laughs>
1: Another story this week has been the Green Party. Let's have a look at that story. Waging war on waste.
2: I look forward to working with all of you to create that vision of a waste-free Aotearoa. Associate Environment Minister Eugenie Sage today promising to get on top of New Zealand's growing waste problem, starting with a universal levy on landfills. It's going to make a big difference because it provides more of an economic incentive to divert materials away from landfill and to recover them. The Ministry will also be looking into making retailers more responsible for taking care of items such as old tyres, batteries, electrical items and agrochemicals they sell. One possibility is a fee on tyres coming into the country and then that being passed on. The revenue that that raises enables a take-back scheme and it enables uh, an incentive to businesses to actually reuse the materials in the tyres.
3: The devil's in the detail on all this stuff. We really need to know how much, uh, what will the impact be for the average Kiwi household's cost of living.
2: On average, we each send more than 700 kilos of waste to landfill every year, and the Greens want to get better information on what we're throwing away. It comes as China stopped taking the world's plastic for recycling, with options here now being considered. We can change, we can process more of these materials onshore. It also requires markets for goods that are made of recycled plastic. There are more than 400 landfills in New Zealand, and currently only around 11% are covered by a levy. Research shows that charging for disposal does reduce waste, but the Greens admit it will have to look at further enforcements on illegal dumping.
3: There could be some unintended consequences, but it will certainly, it should free up some funds so that it'll make product more valuable instead of putting it into a landfill.
2: The Greens hope the levy will be put in place by the start of 2020, but it'll be pushed to public consultation first.
0: So obviously a huge issue. I mean, everyone agrees that landfill is getting ridiculous. Uh, the amount of landfill that we've got piling up um, is huge. But on the other hand, uh, Scott Simpson um, raised the uh, also legitimate fact that um, this will hit households and the question is by how much. Um, we're already seeing um, other uh, gains from the Green Party on plastic bags and the likes. All those all will all trickle back to the households as well. So it's just about sort of keeping an eye on the costs, I guess the growing costs, um, but also being mindful of the worthiness that, th- these, that these policies have. Exactly. I think we've
1: got some competing interests here some in, in some shape or form because we've got um, a very worthy environment issue here, which is waste. You know, New Zealand's waste problem is massive. We talk about plastic in oceans, we talk about, um, again, like in that piece just then about how our waste can no longer be sent to China and so we're having to deal with that problem here. So It's a very real issue issue for us at the moment in terms of the government needing to deal with it. But the question is, who pays for that, right? And so at the moment they're proposing that obviously if you generate the waste, you pay for the waste. But the question is, is is for the lower income families, the question is, can they afford it? and And is that the right way to be dealing with this issue? Or does this need to be coming from a different way? Do we need to be paying for it in a different
0: format? And I think the critics will say, it's another tax, right? It's another tax. And so the devil will be in the detail so we'll keep an eye out on when that detail comes out um, interesting to see um, obviously this was um, all taking place at the Green Party AGM um, and they've obviously gone back to their core issues uh, which is the environment last year we saw them sway a bit more towards the social issues, we saw that um, admission from Metiria today, which resulted in her stepping down, May you were at that conference, yeah. um, tell us a bit about that. Yeah so it was um, a big difference between this conference
1: and obviously what happened a year ago and a year ago um, when materia did drop that bombshell um, we saw basically it did set off a chain of events we saw the Green Party rise very sh- uh, sharply in popularity and then don't forget then that plummet as more details came out and it, it was a really big turning point in that election process because don't forget that also um, led on to Andrew Little um, admitting that he didn't think he could win the election with his poll, low poll results and then obviously Jacinda Ardern coming in so if you see the way the Green Party's changed in the last year, they're in a very different position now. They're in Parliament, they're in Government, and they're making decisions. And so um, there is a bit of tension growing within the Green Party, um, within its members versus the people in Parliament, just about um, how, how much gains it's actually making. Because, yes, we've got some environmental gains here, but don't forget there's some compromise that they've had to make along the way. The walker-jumping bill, um, that's one really big sticking point for a lot of the Green Party members. And historically,
0: small parties don't do well in government, do they? No, they don't. But I think that for the Green Party, they have made significant gains. And the likes of the Waka Jumping Bill, although it does cut to their core values and principles, you know, when you're in government, it is about give and take. And so I think that they can be on the whole, happy with what they have been achieving, um, being part of the government. Um, and I think that you know, when we see them going back to their core issues um, of the environment, um, you know, things like um, the levy on landfills, um, that is playing to their core voters. Um, so when we mention that huge dip in the polls for them um, after um, last year's AGM, they will be wanting to sort of claw back those votes, get back that core support, um, especially when, as you say, they can be. So vulnerable being a small party um, in, in a, a larger government. Great to have you with us. This was Inside Parliament, our weekly catch up about the political stories we've been covering on One News. Uh, we're on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. It's available every Thursday evening on the One News Facebook page and check us out on your favourite podcasting app. Hey, coordinator.